Welcome to today's 10 with Ben podcast about real estate in the new world and what's really happening out there. Hope everyone had a wonderful 4th of July and loving the awesome Chicago weather. I can't believe that it's already July. Summer is in full swing and so much better than last year when we were all struggling with the pandemic. In fact, things are truly sunny up on the 35th floor of our corporate office uh, on Wacker Drive. Lots of business happening here and in our suburban office, which takes me to today's guest. I'm joined today by Joel Berger, a senior managing director who works out of our Oakbrook office. Actually, Joel started the Oakbrook office. Joel and I started in real estate at Bradford Allen around the same time over 17 years ago. Wow, Joel, we're getting pretty old. Uh, welcome to the show. I know you've been super busy throughout the uh throughout COVID and have continued to do deals. So I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast. Before we jump in, can you tell the listeners a little about yourself, family, hobbies? What do you got going on? So we've been in real estate so long that when the first iPhone came out, we all thought it was a joke because it didn't have a, a flip, right? That, <laughs> that, that dates ourselves. Um, so, uh, well, originally from Wisconsin, um, got my Won't first job against you. Yeah. Uh, first job in real estate in West Suburban Milwaukee, out in the Wauwatosa market back in summer of 2001. And another way to date myself, my job was to try to figure out where telephone lines were underground for this amazing new concept called Telco Hotels. You know, which maybe I should have stayed in that you know business. Um, I currently live out in Downers Grove, the west suburbs of Chicago. Uh, happily married with three school-aged children. And uh, yeah, I mean, compared to this time last year, we are without COVID restrictions, without civil unrest. We have restaurants that don't have boarded up windows. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the suburbs uh, in Chicago are are booming. Um, certainly from what, you know, what we're seeing in all, all facets of real estate. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, for someone that's been doing this as long as you have, um, what could, what would you tell your younger self today, uh, if they were getting into the business? Excellent question. Um, uh, you know, the world has changed so much and even with technology and actually, um, I think the wall street journal, it was like maybe two or three weeks ago that Merrill Lynch officially stopped all cold calling for their junior financial reps, which is, you know, laughable for people like us that, you know, when we got in the business. So, um, I think, uh, you know, the the industry has changed in terms of what's expected of, you know, junior real estate agents and brokers. But I think fundamentally, it's still it's a business of relationships. And I mean, I'm somebody that I've made myself into an extrovert. But, you know, historically, you know, growing up was a very shy, introverted person that I think that's a wonderful life lesson that regardless of industry, age, is you create your own luck by forging relationships and being forcing yourself to be an extrovert and meet people and, you know, new interests, um, learning about different industries. That's how you, you know, you formulate relationships and how you build contacts and develop, you know, uh, develop value to people when you can understand, you know, the real estate market. Yeah. Well, per personally, I find it hard to believe that you were ever an introvert, but, uh, <laughs> I'll take, I'll take your word for it. Uh, I remember the early years when you and I were in the, uh, the, the cubes just pounding out phone calls really fondly. 
those were fun times. I could sit here all day and reminisce with you. I mean, I'm sure we both have plenty of stories to tell, but uh, we're going to jump in a little bit to really what's going on in the suburban market. Yeah, like I said, you put us on the map in the burbs. I don't remember. Was that 15 years ago or thereabout? Yeah, I think it was when, you know, when Bradford Allen first started and my wife would drag me out shopping at Oakbrook Mall. And I remember looking around saying, well, you know, there's all these office buildings and nobody at the company was ever, you know, making calls or, you know, canvassing through. So I think it's just started organically. And, you know, you get one deal and it turns into two or three. And then we try to get agency work. And then, yeah, so I think officially our first office opened, it was July of 2007 in Lombard. So around 14 years. But yeah, you know, it's when you think about commercial real estate in general as an industry, you know, it's only existed, you know, for 40, 50 years. You know, there weren't commercial brokers doing what we do in the 40s or 50s. It just wasn't, you know, wasn't really around. And when you think of suburbs, you know, Oakbrook and Deerfield and Lake Forest, you know, it was all farmland up until the 70s and 80s. So there were no markets. So when those markets were being developed, you know, there was really one or two companies that basically had their fingers in everything. So, you know, at the time, C.B. Richard Ellis, you know, if you wanted to build a building, they were your guys. If you wanted to lease a building, they were your guys. If you wanted to manage a building, they were your guys. So what happens over time? They handle everything. Um, and so in, in the north suburbs, you had Collier's, Bennett & Conweiler. You know, so, so these kind of old-fashioned companies were the only real estate companies doing commercial work in suburban Chicago for the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And so when we started going out there, it was, you know, somewhat laughable where you'd have the same broker from a company and they'd show you five, six, seven buildings all owned by different owners and they controlled everything. So it was, you know, a market that was rife for a little bit of disruption and, you know, more companies, more service providers. Um, and I think, the biggest change I've seen in the suburbs was, you know, when you go back a long time just in American history, when everybody started moving out of the cities in the 70s, 80s, you know, and even using like Sears as an example where, you know, Sears had the Sears Tower. The mantra was get out of the city, get far out into the suburbs where you had your, you know, this whole campus, you know, with trees and space and and then that was the norm. And you look at, you know, Microsoft, Apple, you know, all these companies, everybody was in these far out suburban campuses. And then after a long time, they're like, well, this kind of stinks. We're isolated. We're driving 45 minutes out in the middle of nowhere and we want to walk places. We want to walk to restaurants and, you know, walk to places. So I think starting in the early 2000s, there was this big shift back to more of an urban mentality, whether you're in the suburbs or the city, where you wanted to have access to trains, access to walkable amenities. Um, and so there's been a big shift in the suburbs where now all the activity has been the closer in suburbs that have the, you know, the access to all of those things. So the O'Hare market, the Oakbrook market, you know, Deerfield, uh, Northbrook, where while technically you are in the suburbs, you can draw people from the city, the suburbs. You don't have to drive everywhere. You have urban amenities. Um, and, you know, things were on a very consistently upward trajectory in retail, office, industrial, all over the suburbs up until COVID. Yep. 
and then COVID happened. (laughs) Um, And so I think, and what's interesting too is, you know, for, for me personally, I watched, I found documentaries very calming when COVID first, I just enjoyed watching a documentary, spacing out. Yeah, sure. So when you look at all these documentaries about any number of things, I think, you know, whether it's war documentaries or health or science or sports, human beings have a tendency to completely overreact to whatever situation, you know, they're in. So, you know, a war happens, a new politician gets elected, technology happens, something happens where people freak out and they completely overreact. So when COVID first hit, there was there wasn't actual bad things happening, at least as in related to suburban commercial real estate mm-hmm. in Chicago. Office tenants were paying their rent. Retail tenants primarily were paying their rent or doing lease restructures. Sure. Even though they were closed, you know, it's amazing. Even though restaurants and stores were closed, they were, you know, wasn't like they were just in a rush to declare bankruptcy and close. And so there was a handful of months where I think there was this vacuum of news and the media said, well, what happens if things never go back to normal? And let's let's just start throwing out ideas of radically remaking how human beings work and interact. And then all of a sudden you had two or three months of, you know, office buildings are dead. No one's ever going to want to be in an office anymore. You know, everybody's going to live where they want to live and work. And and I think a lot of it was just fear and overreactions. And now that we have a little bit of hindsight and we're, you know, thank God coming out of COVID, I think you're seeing that there's little wrinkles that most employers now recognize they have to have an office to have a culture. You just you can't have a culture with everybody remote and not seeing. You have to have an office as a home base to have a place for, you know, you know, building your culture, doing meetings. But on the flip side, there's no reason to force people to be in the office sure. 40, 50 hours a week, right? Like the old days. And I think you're seeing a lot of old fashioned industries, even like banking or law, that even they're coming around saying, you know what? Mondays, Fridays work from home. Yeah. You know, or they're evolving. Right. And and I think that's just like even before COVID, right? That's how things were. Um, you know, uh, during COVID, a lot of us drove significantly less because there's no place to drive to, right? Everything's shut down. But there wasn't this rash thing of like, oh my God, we never need cars anymore. Everybody right. give up their cars, right? <laughs> right? It's just, you know, there never was a law that said if you have an office for your business, you have to be there full time every day. Right. So it's it's kind of just like the natural progression and this is helping us uh, kind of move forward. Correct. But let me ask you a question. I mean, you've got a pretty robust both tenant and landlord practice. You do a ton of deals every year. So here we are in uh, July of 2021. The, the pandemic is almost behind us. What are you telling? What are you telling these clients of yours on both sides now? Like how to how to move forward? So, I think it's the same message to landlords and tenants that take advantage of optimism. You know, if we look back in history at the Roaring Twenties when we came out of World War One, there was this sense of optimism that fueled everything. You know, more recently, probably the 1980s when Ronald Reagan got elected. The company was mired in recession, gas shortages, unemployment. And Reagan, more than anything, said, 
We need hope and optimism, right? Spend money even if you don't have it. Go for wealth. Build your business, right? And I think now there's this sense of a lot of companies feeling emboldened, saying, wait a second, we just survived a year where with no warning whatsoever, we had to shift everybody at home, close our doors, spend more money on you know, uh, protective equipment, pro, you know, uh, technology equipment to have people work at home. So everybody's expenses went up and in theory, their revenues probably went down a little bit and everybody still ended up okay. And especially even like, you know, with, with the healthcare sector, when you think about doctors or dentists to a T every hospital system, doctor, dentist I've talked to or worked with said, our net result of the COVID experience is we're going to take more vacation because last year, you know, we were shut down for a month, two months, or we were open, but we severely restricted, you know, the number of people we saw uh, because of all the, the the COVID protocols. Our expenses went up and our year still ended up fine. So now we want to, you know, start taking more vacation and not working as much. And mm-hmm. And so I think even, you know, as you look at retail, you know, retail, you would have thought that's the sector that's going to get crushed by COVID, right? Because you can't shop, you can't go out to eat, you can't go to bars. Excuse me. So what the net result is now is retailers, again, feel emboldened that these restaurants survived, you know, they couldn't see people mm-hmm. or serve people. So I think, you know, your major chains, you know, Panera, Starbucks, they're never going to have locations without drive throughs They're never going to have locations without easy parking for takeout. You know, new restaurants, they're going to have more, you know, garage doors and operable windows to have more fresh air and, you know, open. So I think I think the net result of all the COVID stuff is going to be just a smarter humanity of the way we design our spaces. Sure. That, you know, our offices are going to be designed with maybe more personal space, no more benching furniture to have people on top of each other. Um, because even forgetting about COVID, you start to realize like, oh, you put a hundred young people in these little tiny cubes on top of each other. It's not COVID, but maybe they're getting cold, flu, strep sure. every year, you know, everyone's sick. So I think just we're getting back to the old office model was big perimeter offices, interior support staff. Then it went the opposite of no offices. Everybody's out in the open. Well, I, we'll just we'll end up in the middle, right, right? Something in between. And that's is that what you're telling landlords and tenants both? Yeah. And so take advantage of the optimism. So companies feel emboldened. They're they're comfortable to make long term decisions. So with the tenants that are looking to remake their space, move buildings, take advantage. There's a lot of amazing opportunities. You know, there you can move to a better building and take advantage of that. You could take advantage of the market and buy new furniture, remodel yep. your space. For landlords, I think there there was this year long of, you know, is our industry, is our investment in this office building going to be a waste, right? Or what if what if tenants never come back? I think we're past all past that, that now, for sure. and they're saying, "Well, now let's let's double down. Let's build rooftop decks. Let's build more outdoor space because we want to give people reasons to come back to the office and feel totally comfortable." Yep. And that was something that people should have done all along. It's just in the seventies, eighties, nineties when suburban buildings were being built, they weren't thinking of those yeah, things. Understood. How about this idea? Pre-COVID, there was a lot of talk about all these suburban companies coming to the city. 
And then COVID kicked in and it was the opposite talk. They said, oh, no one's going to want to be in the city anymore. And there's going to be this flight to the suburbs. I've kind of seen that it hasn't stopped either way. You know, there's still the groups that would rather be in the suburbs and there's still the groups that rather be in the city. And I've been having a lot of conversations recently with landlord reps in the city that have told me that they're starting to see suburban companies shop again downtown. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, in the suburbs? I mean, I, have I seen fundamental, like a large company in the suburbs moving downtown or vice versa because of COVID? No. Um, and we've looked pretty hard. There just there there hasn't been there hasn't been that circumstance happening. And I think when you look at the city, why would people want to leave the city, right? Well, last year it's the opposite of you know all the reasons that pe bring people to the city. You have entertainment, culture, arts, sports, music, restaurants, uh, beauty of you know the buildings, the parks. You start taking all those things away, and you're like, well, why why be in the city, right? We can't go anywhere. We can't go to a Cubs game. We can't go out to eat. So why be in the city? Let's go to the suburbs, right? But on the flip side, I think most smart people recognize that COVID was not forever, that we're already seeing, you know, the Cubs are back at full capacity. The taste of Chicago is going on. The city's got life again. And all of a sudden, people want to be in, in the city. Yep. Um, I also think in commercial real estate, people in the media forget that it's not that easy to just say, oh, we're moving to the suburbs or we're moving to the city. You know, you have lease, you know, liabilities, you have contracts, you have, there's a lot of work time money that goes into making a fundamental shift in where your business is. So I think a lot of people may have thought about it, but I mean, it's kind of like what we're seeing now is all these big employers saying, all right, we're going to put people at home. So instead of a hundred thousand feet, let's be an 80,000 or 70,000 to cut down our costs. Well, then when you start looking at the costs associated with, okay, it's really expensive to split up a floor and, you know, split off space. And and then the landlords will say, well, just keep all your space and we'll give you a deal, right? And that's, we're, we're finding this middle ground and you realize it's really expensive to downsize mm -hmm. um, in most buildings. And it's also, what happens if you downsize and then we have this booming economy and now you need to hire more people? Like, wouldn't that be a stupid you yeah. know, short-term decision. Yeah, so. actually, so that's a good segue into the next uh, question I wanted to ask you. Let's fast forward a year or two, right? The pandemic's behind us. I kind of believe that um, everyone's just going to be like, all right, that happened, but I don't even remember exactly what happened. And here we are in 22, 23. What's going to be the biggest suburban trends for real estate? So I think a lot of it, I mean, it's kind of, it's not a real exciting answer, but I think it's just a lot of what we were seeing is the closer in suburbs that offer, you know, all of the new development are mixed use projects that have an urban downtown feel. Mm -hmm. So you look at the old McDonald's campus, you know, the old um, uh, Motorola campus up north, but like in Oak Brook where McDonald's was, you took one ugly old office building from the 1960s and now there's going to be apartments hotel restaurants a new office building and so i think you're going to take these kind of isolated pieces of real estate and they're going to be converted into mixed uses where you have people living 
Um, even with shopping malls, you know, a few years ago was, you know, shopping malls are dead. Who's ever, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's no reason to ever go to shopping malls. Well, you look at Oakbrook Mall or Northbrook Court and they're saying, well, what if we build apartments here and condos here? Because all the people that live here can walk to movie theaters, walk to restaurants, walk to shopping. Because shopping malls already had all a lot of the amenities that the city offers. So I think that's the trend is you're going to see the further out suburbs more and more convert to industrial because I think the trend of people shopping at home and the logistics and the infrastructure needed to fulfill, you know, internet commerce, I think the further out you get and along the highways, you're just going to see this boom of industrial, you know, more and more industrial buildings being built. Uh, which you're seeing that all over the country. I think you're going to see a conversion of shopping malls to live, you know, live, work, mm-hmm. play areas. Uh, and I think, you know, you're going to, the, the biggest thing needed is going to be the infrastructure to support, you know, traffic and, you know, connection between these nodes. But I think the suburbs is going to break down into hubs of you want to be in this hub because it's got all the, it's the Fulton Market dynamic in the right. Suburbs. I was going to say it's lifestyle, and it's giving uh, the suburb the, the suburbs a, a little bit of an urban feel. Right, and then also taking it one step further with with office, you've got this more uh, hospitality feel. We're starting to see that all over. Where you walk in, you, it feels more like a hotel than, oh, totally. than, than an office building. Yeah, I mean every every office building in the suburbs. It's just like in the city that have done lobby renovations. It's all it's it's the luxury hotel, yeah. right? It doesn't. They want to get away from that corporate stone, you know, cold, isolating feel. Yep. Uh, so I think there's a lot of, and I think you're also seeing. A regional where no longer is it do we want to be in this in the city or the suburbs, right? Because no matter what, getting back to your first question, most employers now are going to let people work at home a day or two a week. So I think we're looking at more of a regional economy where it's no longer suburban Chicago versus downtown Chicago. I think you're seeing big companies saying, okay, do we want to be in Metro Chicago or Metro Dallas, Metro Raleigh Durham, Metro Austin? And they're kind of looking at these areas as one kind of big thing. So I think, you know, the O'Hare expansion, better, you know, um, renovations to Metra L, transportation infrastructure. I think those are what's going to be an interesting thing to look at over the next few years. Sure, sure. So before we wrap up, uh, you're on a bunch of buildings. Yeah, you represent a ton of landlords. Anything you want to talk about in terms of your buildings or what you're doing or or even a plug for some of your owners? Sure. I mean, it, you know, so let's take 570 Lake Cook Road in Deerfield. So it's a if you saw a picture of it, it looks like any suburban building in any major city, you know, the the style of architecture, the way it was built. There's nothing that says, "Wow, this is amazing," right? But because it's physically attached to the Deerfield Metro Station and you have walkable amenities and you're right at the nexus of, you know, major interstates, we can present the building as it's the best of both worlds. If you're a traditional suburbanite, you want to drive to work, no problem. You can drive. we got tons of parking. we got the garage. we got service parking. If you want to take the train, we're at the metro stop. If you want to walk to lunch and not have to get in your car, we have that. And so I think, and even that, we're looking to add a rooftop deck, looking to add outdoor space. 
So I think that's going to be a trend of what we're trying to be like on the forefront of is not just remodeling a building to make it prettier, um, but it's it's remodeling a building to make it more functional and offer more options to the the workers. Right? Sure. You know, on a nice summer day, you want to go work up on the roof, work outside. Those are really nice things that people want to have. Yeah, I mean, the amenities are game changers, and we see that all over the city. And I know that you know the, the suburbs are seeing that more and more. And I, to your point, I think it's just going to it's just going to continue. Yeah. So you know, and I you know, I'll be staying on the suburbs like the Bears, right? If the Bears move to Arlington Heights, it may sound you know sacrilegious to be out of Chicago. But if you look at what every other NFL team is doing, they're not just building a stadium for games. They're making it an entertainment district, right? Hotels, restaurants, bars, you know, hosting concerts, corporate events, you know, all these things. So you're, the Bears are totally restricted at Soldier Field. They can't do any of those things. So for Bears fans, it's a it's a very outdated experience that if you're going to a football game, you have to park, you have to walk, a, you know, a mile to the stadium. You go to any other NFL stand now, you you know, there's 50 restaurants and bars right around the you know the stadium, and there, there's a there's an experience to it. So I think sports, retail, I think that's the trend, even for um, a stodgy industry like office buildings. You sure. need to give people an experience and a reason to want to be there. Yep. I knew we couldn't get through the podcast without a little bit of a dig on the Bears as a, uh, as a Packer fan sitting next to me. So, uh, but I totally get what you're saying. Uh, And so we'll see what happens, but listen, this has been great. Uh, Really interesting and thought provoking to say the least. I always love catching up with you. I don't see you enough. I know we got to do this more often. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on and um, any parting words you want to want to leave the listeners with? Just very excited. COVID is, you know, on its way out. Life is back. Chicago's great. Very exciting times. All right. Well, Joel, thanks again for joining the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Well, that does it for us today. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of 10 with Ben. Please feel free to reach out to me with any questions at 773-562-5263 or by email at biazulay, A-Z-U-L-A-Y at bradfordallen.com. Until next time, stay safe.